Hey Authority Hackers, welcome to this week's show episode. In this episode, we are going to do our now usual monthly roundup, and there's some very interesting topics that we're going to be talking about. First, we're going to be talking about the Google indexing issues and the fact that they removed the recrawl feature inside the Webmasters console and how that affects on-page SEO work. I've also tested the new Cloudflare APO site speed optimization on some of our sites, and I'm going to be showing you my results. There's also Amazon that sent that weird email to associates and asked them to really disclose their affiliate links. We're going to be breaking that down and what you need to do for your sites. And also our favorite tool for SOP management and all that kind of like internal tutorials for the company just went free. So we're going to be sharing it with you as well as a bunch of other news. So I'm not gonna tease you more, let's get started. Welcome to the Authority Hacker Podcast. And now your hosts, Gail Breton and Mark Webster. Hey everyone, welcome back to the Authority Hacker Podcast. So today is going to be a bit of a news roundup, a lot of tech actually. We're going to talk a lot about tools, but before that, we're going to be talking to Mark and ask him how's it going. So how's it going, Mark? Well, funny you should ask that. Last week, I showed you the Asana socks, which oh I, God. the pink Asana socks, which I, I had on my feet. And I thought today I'd just like take a little trip down memory lane to, I think it was two or three years ago, just before Christmas, at my parents' house, which was in a different country at the time, there was a, a package arrived for me with uh, some socks in it. So let me show you those. Is this, uh, I think I know what this is. <laughs> Side ground, yeah. Uh, that's, I saw that's, this that's upside down, but Site Ground actually sent me some socks as well. So, guys, if you have any socks out there for your your brand and you want featured on the Authority Hacker, I was gonna say podcast. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's like some people charge thousands of dollars for for sponsoring on the podcast. For us, it just costs a pair of socks, you know. Yeah. <laughs> so, so it's probably some of the cheapest sponsor you can do, but yeah, it's like I guess you can send socks to Mark if you're on the site. Put some funny ones. If you're sending socks to Mark, like like I, I want socks that say like how's it going, Mark on the socks or something like this. <laughs> please be a little bit original. But fair enough. Let's see. We're talking about a lot of tools actually today. So maybe some of them will actually check this out. Let's actually jump into the news roundup. But actually, the first news is going to be a news that concerns us. So sorry for the self-promo, but it is the last time, the last piece of content that's probably coming out about this because the Atari Hacker Pro membership and enrollment is closing tonight. You can have all the information on atarihacker.com slash pro. Basically, this is our most advanced training and community, more than 400 videos, more than 5,000 customers, and a lot of updates that we have announced throughout this week. You can check it out, out on atarihacker.com slash pro. So, Please don't miss the deadline because it's the last time we let people in this year. And honestly, it's going to be a while in 2021 before we let people in. So please don't miss that out because we always get emails and we don't do these kind of like fake deadline extensions, etc. So it's closing tonight at the end of the countdown unless something crazy happens. So go and check it out if you haven't checked it out yet. I'm just going to close that parenthesis because I imagine a lot of people who listen have seen the ads, have seen all of that, have seen the emails. So we're going to be closing it here. Unless you want to have a last word on Atari Hacker before we jump on this. Now nah, let's talk about some other stuff. All right. Should I do this one? Sure. All right. So basically, I talk a lot about that feature. Google has removed the request crawl feature on the Google Webmasters console. I usually use this to do essentially A-B testing of my on-page. I mean, you could essentially put your URL in Webmasters console and then press that button and Google will quickly usually re-index that page and usually update the rankings for that page based on the changes you've done fairly quickly as well, depending on the authority of the site. Some of our sites took five minutes. 
Some of our sites, it took like maybe one or two days, but it was still fairly quick for the authority sites. In a lot of tutorials, etc., I've used that function to demonstrate how I could quickly essentially test on page changes, maybe revert back if my rank rankings went down, etc. And unfortunately, Google has had a lot of crawling issues lately and just indexing issues as well. Uh, we've experienced that. If you've seen my video, like uh, re-updating content, etc., we put a card up there. I actually used that feature in there and actually took four days for Google to re-index the page, which kind of messed up with the video in there, but eventually it did work. And so they say it's gonna come back, some people think it's maybe never coming back. This, you know, Google, they're historically kind of like pretty bad at telling you what's going to happen for these kind of features. And one of my memories on this is the not provided in Google Analytics. So if you have done SEO for a while, we used to have all the keyword data for everything in Google Analytics. We would see like which keyword people Googled and which page they landed on and if they converted as well, which was really the power of this because you could see on the query level, your conversion in analytics and you could actually decide which keyword you wanted to optimize for SEO. And then Google rolled out SSL, so HTTPS on google.com and that essentially stopped that data to be provided to Google Analytics, which is kind of bullshit because they have all the data internally. And also in ads, AdWords, so. Exactly, it still works in AdWords, et cetera, so it's kind of bullshit, but initially when they released that, they essentially said it's going to be a single digit of queries that will be affected, meaning less than 10%. Today, go check your Google Analytics, 99 point something percent of your queries are going to be affected and a few queries will still pass some data, but it's too few to be useful at all unless maybe you get millions and millions and millions of visits. Maybe there's a little bit of data here, but it's pretty useless at this point. So I'm wondering if they're not pulling the same trick here and we're never gonna see that button again and there's going to be a webmaster's console update and that button will just be gone instead of being grayed out like it is right now. Maybe they'll do what they do at the streetlights for the crossings in, I think, New York where they have the feature, they have the button, you press it, but nothing happens. It just does it automatically yeah. in its own, own basis. It makes you, I think there's, uh, it makes you wait more. Like if you press the button, you're more likely to wait than trying to cross. No, the they're, they're all synced like the, yeah, so the lights. So like you can, so um, yeah. cars can like drive straight, yeah. for like go through quite a few crosswalks at the, the same time. Yeah, but yeah, so like I, I'm wondering what's going to happen. A lot of SEOs on Twitter did vote that actually would not come back. So I hope it comes back. It was really nice. It was, it was a way to essentially make SEO much faster in terms of feedback. You could change and boom, get CDO results really fast. And that was really nice for on-page SEO. And that's one of the things that for me pushed my focus on on-page SEO a lot more because I could get that these quick wins. You know, if I spent a day just doing that on-page stuff and re-indexing, th there was a limitation after four or five pages, they would essentially like, kind of like put you on the snooze and uh, tell you see you tomorrow and not really re-index your pages too fast. But at least for the first few pages, I was able to really get some work done and really Im improve the traffic on sites really fast. I hope it comes back. Let's see what happens. Do, do you think there's another one where they're they're trying to make it harder for people to know what's going on and run these tests and Maybe. do that? So they're like, wow, well, we have to go buy ads. It was a bit too stuff. good, you know? It's kind of one of these things where if you have that function and you kind of like start making proper scientific tests on things and do that over, let's say you take a thousand days and you make five tests per day because, or maybe you have multiple sites you can test on or whatever. You can start really having a good idea of what Google's doing with like tiny changes because you would get your feedback in rankings really fast. So part of me is thinking that, but to be honest, they could just have put some more delay on it without removing it, you know? They, even if they put two hours, it's, it's still enough for you to jump on something else and not really go back to this. Or it would just make it a lot harder. Whereas like high authority sites is almost instant and that's what made 
you stay on that task and kind of keep optimizing. So they wouldn't have to kill it to do that, but I could see them deciding to do that. Yes, let's see. Next story. Next one we're talking about is Hunter.io, which is a really good tool for finding email addresses, which is very useful in, in link building. So at the start of this month, they actually announced, well, they didn't actually announce, they just, without warning, changed their pricing so that before you would, let's say, spend, uh, I think it was 99 euros for a month and you would get, what was it, 5,000 credits and you could use that for finding emails, for verifications, for whatever you wanted. But now they've split that allocation. So you get 2,500 search credits and 2,500 verification credits and you have to use them. You can't use one group for yeah, yeah. the other kind of thing. It was really weird how it, it just appeared on the page and no one knew what was going on. There was no announcement, nothing on their site. So a bunch of people contacted them and it's actually not too bad for existing users. It's actually slightly beneficial in a way because for existing users, they've doubled the allocation for each each category of points. So you can still do everything that you want to do before, but let's say you're, you weren't using Hunter for verifications, you now have extra verification credit, so you can use it for that. If you haven't signed up to Hunter, then it just got a lot more expensive, double in fact, if you're not doing verifications on there. And there's you know, an argument to be said that verifications are much cheaper to run than, than email finding. So is this like a stealth price increase? Well, it possibly, is, yeah. For sure. <laughs> I reached out to Hunter and asked him about this, and they actually came back with what's a reasonable, I don't know what you call it, excuse, but reasonable explanation. And they were saying that a lot of people were signing up and they're a bit miffed that they had to pay, use a credit to find an email and then use another credit to verify that. So it felt like they were basically being double charged for a piece of work. And so that led to a lot of customer confusion, which is something you and I know a lot about. And that led to a lot of confusion and people were just not so happy and they wanted to try and explain that away a bit more. So smart move in the sense that they've solved that problem and managed to kind of raise their price for some people at the at the same time. But they were at least generous in that they were, they kind of grandfathered people in at, at previous prices, previous credit allocations. So yeah, that's what's been going on there. Would you still recommend it as the tool for beginners? Like, I guess a lot of people, if like they don't have an account now, they're like, oh, should I use these or should I try something else? Is there something that makes more sense financially, et cetera, you know? So it's been, I did an experiment a few years ago where I, I tried all these services and looked at them and Hunter was by far the best back then. Now, have been a few more services come onto the market in the past year or two. So I feel like maybe it's time to run another set of experiments yeah. on this to, to see what else is out there. They were good for a while, but like if this is the direction it's going, then maybe it's, it's time to look at alternatives. But I would stress that the last time we looked at alternatives, that the quality of results you were getting from like Snovio and, and the others was significantly worse than, than what Hunter provided. So we'll see. Yeah, one thing I want to add as well is that actually Hunter provides a free outreach tool as well. So you could argue that maybe they're increasing the price of the email finding service, but you get a free outreach tool that you would normally pay for if you went with yeah. the competition. So it's legitimately good. Like it will do ninety percent of what Mailshake does. We mentioned this in the podcast a few months ago. Like it's very, very good. And you don't actually even need a premium account to use it. You can use it with one email account with like the free account. It's obviously a way to get people into their ecosystem and, and that, but you know, fair enough. And given the yeah. pr the price of Mailshake these days, you know, the off the amount you'll offset by saving will 
cover the extra credits which you need, perhaps. That's what I wanted so, to say. Basically, if you look at the old when Hunter did not have an outreach tool versus and paying for, let's say, Mailshake plus paying for Hunter, essentially you get the same thing for the same price now. You get the outreach tool plus the number of credits for the same as you would have from like paying Mailshake plus paying Hunter that didn't have an outreach tool at the time. So it's bad, but it's not terrible. It's just like it's not as good as it was just for at least a few months where you had the average tool and it was cheaper, basically. Anything else on this story? No. Nope. All right. So let's jump on the next one. It's actually, I tested it. I tested the new Cloudflare site speed service. They call it automatic platform optimization for WordPress. It costs $5 per month. So it's quite interesting. And for me, it's kind of like in price point, it's comparable to something like WP Rocket, for example. Uh, WP Rocket is a WordPress plugin. I think you can pay $45 per year, I think, to uh, use it on one site or something. So it's it's close enough in price to be comparable. And I tested it on two sites, actually. And actually, it's running on Autoria Hacker right now. Uh, it's running on Autoria Hacker. And I tested it on another site that I'm, going, I'm not going to disclose. And I'm going to show you some screenshots. Actually, I put some screenshots for the guys who did the podcast. But what happened is when I put it on that other site, it went from serving maybe like... 60% of site of files ish, depending on the days, etc., from Cloudflare. And then the rest was essentially served from the origin server, which is you know your hosting server, to 99.5% ish of sites being served by Cloudflare. And essentially, Cloudflare served the entire site at this point, and your origin hosting is just here to you know establish the site, then Cloudflare caches it and serves pretty much everything apart from a few things. In here, I've also done a page speed test on it. Now the page speed test I'm going to show is not going to show you the GT matrix score. I'm just going to show you the time to first bit. And it's like, it was quite good, like 187. To give you an idea, when we run on services like NitroPack, our time to first bit is actually quite a bit worse. It's like, it's usually around 400, 500 milliseconds. It's 187 here. And then the contentful paint, which is the one I'm looking at uh, on that screenshot is 1.3 seconds. On a site that's fairly simple, but it's still running Elementor, it's still running like Astra, I think, etc. So it's like pretty good overall. Like I'm pretty happy about the site speed. I'm not showing you the full score because actually that site is running at Thrive. And so the score is not looking very beautiful and like it's not very, very fast in the end because all these ads load at the end and uh, there's a lot of scripts that ads drives load and that's how it's monetized. And so like that's why, but I think this score that you're seeing here is pretty good and you can compare it to yours if you want. I found it to be like the site in the end was not as fast as NitroPack on Autorio Hacker, the site is a bit slower. It doesn't do image optimization as well. It like it can re-optimize re your, your images. You can do WebP, but it cannot resize it for the size of the browser. So I coupled it with Short Pixel actually, and they're running an AppSumo, I think this week or next week. So you can go and get it and pay one time and, and use that and do, they'll do all your image optimization. But overall, I'm pretty impressed. $5 per month for something that in my opinion looks better than something like, let's say, having your site on SiteGround and using a WP Rocket because then you get on like really fast servers, et cetera. Like it, it's essentially better. So I'm pretty happy about that. And I think coupled with something like Short Pixel, it's going to be our mid-tier page speed optimization. You know, like I don't want to spend 40 bucks per month on Nitro Pack because, you know, it's like this site is still growing or it's like a smaller site, but I still want a pretty punchy site that goes pretty fast. Even if it's on chat hosting or something, we're going to be using that. We're going to be using the $5 automatic platform optimization on Cloudflare together with Short Pixel. And it's really good. I would recommend that people check it out. Yeah, no, you can't try it for free. I was thinking about it. You can try it for free if you're business only, which it's already 20 bucks a month. But five bucks, yeah, good value. 
Overall, I like it. And a lot of members who tried it said it was pretty good as well. So check it out if you want to check it out. All right. So the next one is the Amazon Associates disclosure warning, reminder, email. I'm not, not quite sure how to phrase this, but earlier this month, Amazon sent out an email to all of their associates, their affiliates, and they were reminding affiliates that it's their duty and that they're required to do two things, make their affiliate links clear and conspicuous. And they went into some detail to explain what that means. So by clear, it means that I'll, I'll read it out exactly what they said. A clear disclosure should be as simple as, and then in quotation marks, paid link in brackets, hashtag ad or hashtag commissions earned. Now, initially there was some thought that maybe this was meant for social media influencers to use those, those tags basically, but someone contacted Amazon and actually they said that this is meant for all links. And I know when you contact Amazon, you get a different answer every time you, you ask someone some different there. So again, take this with a pinch of salt, but this, I know for a fact that this is actually the law, nothing to do with Amazon, but the FTC sets, sets rules for this. And by law, you're supposed to disclose every single time you have an affiliate link on your site. So imagine you've got, you know, a table with 10 links and all the images are links and you know, you got another table further down. You're actually supposed to say this is an affiliate link next to every single link on your page. That's even if you have a disclosure, even if you have affiliate disclosure somewhere on your site. Do you think if you put tooltip, like let's say you mouse over on the link and it says this is an affiliate link when you mouse over, would that count? Well, first of all, this has nothing to do with Amazon. Let's talk about the FTC here. You can't actually say that it's an affiliate link because the FTC thinks that most people will understand what that means. So you have to say that you get paid or you're compensated or it's sponsored in some way because it thinks people will understand that. Mousing over, not okay because I guess some browsers might not use it. On or, mobile, I guess. You know, on mobile, you're not going to have it anyway. So it's really dumb. Like, I don't know a single website that complies with this law, like even the big ones, not a single one. And I don't know anyone that's been went through enforcement for something like this in the US either. So that's the, the clear thing. And the conspicuous part of it was Amazon were saying it should be placed that this disclaimer should be placed near any associate link or product review in a location that customers will notice easily and they shouldn't have to hunt for it. So that's an indication that you can't just stick this down at the bottom and say, hey, that was an affiliate link. It has to be next to it. I spoke to a lawyer about this four years ago and he said that it actually has to be before the affiliate link. So when people are reading it, they're not don't discover it, click it, and then later see that it was uh it was sponsored or whatever. So understandably a lot of people kind of freaked out a bit. And like, I think a lot of people thought that they were getting personally emailed by Amazon. There's a big thread in our Facebook group. People were, were saying like, should we do this? Should we not? And my view with something like this, where the enforcement is non-existent and nobody else is complying is like, stand back, wait and see how it develops, how it plays out and then take action. If you're more risk averse, then maybe you want to get ahead of the curve. But I think it would be such an affront to your user experience to have you know, hashtag ad or paid link next to every single link on your yeah, your website. That. that yeah, I just I don't see. It's just not realistic. Isn't there a saying that says like uh, if you run after if you run after by a lion, you don't need to be faster than the lion. You just need to be faster than the guy than the slowest guy or something like this. And it's kind of like the way I'm looking at it. You know, it's like if everyone moves as a herd, like just kind of keep up with the herd and you'll be all right. But that's the thing. You know, for certain websites, the impact. Like the chance of getting penalized or whatever kicked out of Amazon Associates is low. Even if you break the rules, the chance is low. 
But the impact of being kicked out for some websites is very significant that that means it doesn't make sense to err on the side of, of caution there. Actually, kind of brings me on to my next point, which was around the YouTube channel Linus Tech Tips. So they posted a really interesting, like if anyone doesn't follow it, it's a tech hardware uh, review information YouTube channel. Really, really good, very well produced. They've been going 10 plus years now. And they did a video recently breaking down their income. So they had a, a pie chart and they compared the 2016 to the 2020. And in 2016, they were making 16% of their income from Amazon Associates links uh, from the YouTube channel. And then in 2020, that's down to 9%. And they went as far as to kind of call out Amazon in a way. And Linus said, and I quote, we're actually afraid of calling out the links of calling out the links in our video for fear we're getting kicked out of the program again. An affiliate program with rules that are so opaque and enforcement so random that participants are afraid to promote it. So pretty kind of strong words there. And I'm sure he's he's probably just the most vocal, like high profile person to, to make such a, such a statement. But it shows you that it's not just, you know, small, medium affiliate sites that are, are feeling the difficulties here. It's, uh, it's big publishers as well. But all this is to say that I don't actually think Amazon cares about this. I don't think that Amazon wants you to do this. I don't think they're really bothered. All I think they're doing is they're showing to the FTC that they're pretending to try and enforce or being the good corporate citizen and reminding people of the law that they're supposed to comply by even though nobody does. So they can't be accused of saying, oh, well, you didn't tell anyone or whatever. They say, hey, no, look, we sent these emails, you know, it's in our terms, you know, everyone agreed to it, all that kind of stuff. So it's just, I hate when the, the law and like the enforcement and what everyone does is not the same. It just makes it, there's a big gray area and it's like just kind of uncomfortable and you have to manage all this risk and stuff. But uh, I would say, don't worry about it too much for now. See how this develops. Yeah, I mean, they're also being investigated for like monopoly and things like that. So it's like overall, like any point they can get with governments, etc., showing that they're trying, they will take and it's an easy one for them to take. And again, they will not enforce that. There's no way they will enforce that unless they actually want to close their affiliate program because pretty much everyone is not complying with the rules. But the fact that Linus called it is a big deal. I mean, that video I was checking has over 1.5 million views already. And yeah, he's a really big profile affiliate. If you don't know this guy, he's really pretty much one of the biggest YouTubers out there, 12 million subscribers, which is pretty big for someone that reviews commercial products, etc. And there's a they have a bunch of other channels as well. That's not the only yeah. one. They have, it's a huge media company, actually. It's, like, it's a cool media company to study for if you want to do videos, like his tone in videos is, is actually the number one inspiration for how we do videos when we do proper videos, not podcasts, but rather videos like this is the tone that, in my opinion, is the best on YouTube. So if you want inspiration, check him out, actually. Next, we're going to talk about more tools. As I said in the intro, pretty much all my points are tools, actually. It's kind of funny. We're going to talk about Slab. So Slab.com, not many people know it. Actually, I'm going to quote her again. Bibi actually asked about, Bibi the link builder asked about, you know, a place to put your wiki, SOPs, tutorials for staff, etc. And I posted Slab because we've been using it for maybe... Like it's not a year yet, but we're getting slowly Coming out there. Coming for a year, yeah. It's been a while, but like I, I remember, I found it on Quora. Actually, I was reading about wiki systems, etc. I was looking at Notion at the time as well. Also, I was looking at all these, but I really liked Slab because 
It's like, it's basically a CMS, right? It's kind of like building your website, internal website for your company, but it's really easy to use. It's just like, you can do H1s, H2s, you can embed a Google Doc in it, you can embed a YouTube video, and the content looks really nice and it's nice to use it. You navigate like a website without being too much maintenance to maintain and you still have the comment system, you can ask questions, you can do all of that. And we've paid for that, right? Since the beginning, we've paid, um, like, I think we they changed our pricing, but I think we were paying 4 or $5 per month per user. But they actually released a free plan that pretty much has everything we use. And it's up to 10 people. And uh, it's really good. Like, it's like the fact that it's free. Now I feel like we should definitely recommend this because we've been using that for a while. And it's been... It's like, we've tried many times to build these kind of things, even in Google Docs, et cetera. And it's like, it works, but it's not very nice. And uh, navigating Google Docs, you know, you get that loading time, et cetera. The key to building a system with all your SOPs that actually gets used is just to make it as beautiful and nice and usable yeah. as possible. Slab really doesn't do anything that you can't do with a series of Google Docs and maybe like an index a spreadsheet with an index of them all. So you can do all that. It's just, it's not very nice. It's not very usable and people don't seem to like using it as much, but something like Slab, yeah, it's just, it has that almost like Apple sense of, uh, yes. yeah, it just feels nice, you know? It feels nice to use, so you use it and people use it. And like, you know, like we had that team call yesterday. It's like, you know, we were like a staff just like, oh, I just added that new page on Slab. I did it. Nobody asked them to do that, etc. Because it's nice to use. I don't think if we were using Google Doc, it would have been done. So it's like, I would recommend it because it's free. So you can go on slab.com and check it out. It's hopefully free forever. But you can host all your stuff in there and we love it. And we think you will love it too. You can go on. That's basically all I have to say about Slab. Next one is Ahrefs. They've introduced uh, historical ranking data into their tool. So you can now compare how a site is ranking historically over time. So you can say, like, how has that changed from three years ago till today? I believe the amount of time you can see in the past is dependent on which plan you have. And this goes back, if you have the top plan, not the enterprise one, but the agency, I think it was a 399, you can go back five years. And then the others uh, are, I think, three years and then the light ones maybe a year even less than that i think it's six months yeah but it's a you know it's a cool feature you can see ranking data i think traffic as well does it show that historically yep. i mean traffic according to hrefs right it's the traffic metric of hrefs not the actual traffic it's quite important actually because it's a big distinction it's not always the truth sure and far from it so you know if you want to see how your competitors positions have changed over time maybe you're looking to model after their pages which have have been improving over time rather than getting worse over time and maybe you think oh well these ones are like more in favor with google or they're doing more of the right things what google wants to see then it can kind of inform you in in, in that way so it's a nice extra Extra feature, doesn't cost anything, probably quite easy for them to build, but... You know yeah, what I like cool. it as well? It allows you to like, kind of like look at SEO as a long-term trend versus like, how are my rankings doing today? Which is kind of like, again, it's kind of like looking at the stock market every day, it goes like this, but then you just don't look at it and you look like a year later and like you do, you do a lot better overall, etc. And it's like, it's quite nice in that aspect and um, it kind of like helps me feel that everything's going better than it may feel on the bad week or something like that going to check that report so if you need emotional support with your SEO campaigns it's actually a pretty good feature to look at because usually even if you're having a bad two months three months you check like compared to a year compared to two years ago etc you tend to do a lot better and yeah so I like that feature for that reason and it helps you get a bit of uh, distance from your campaigns basically. 
Actually, another tool, another tool news. So really, I think it literally that's all I have. But I'm gonna talk about a new WordPress theme I bought, and I didn't buy a WordPress theme in three years. But like I've been hinting at it several times in the past few weeks. But we are seeding, starting a bunch of new sites lately, and so you know it encourages me to try these Cloudflare services. Maybe consider which WordPress theme we're using, etc. And I bought the Cadence theme premium. So they have a free version of the theme, which is really good. I tried it as well. Uh, it is um, it's part of uh, one of the new recommendations in DAS, actually, like of the themes people can use. I like it because, for example, like, you know how in WordPress you could never make the header you wanted? Let's say you want to put a button in your menu bar. It's pretty much impossible unless you, unless you write code on most themes, right? It's like, but this has an actual... It feels almost like a page builder. You can literally just drag a, a button item in the menu and then just write whatever you want and do all of that. It has, you know, phone numbers and things like that, etc. So you can essentially build something. It's something that it's like it almost made me want to ditch page builders on, uh, like at least for the first version of a website. You know, it's like it's the first time in a while that I feel like okay, I can do pretty much everything I want for a very basic site, like a basic blog or something, without having to install a Elementor if I don't want to. And then, you know, at the point when you get to like building sales pages, building opt-in pages, et cetera, I would probably still bring Elementor. I still like it and it's more customizable, but they have a global color system, for example. So you can set colors and like all the elements you put in are going to be picking these colors. So you stay in brand. You can pretty much put elements anywhere you want on your site. It's very, very fast. They have uh, mega menus as well. Yeah, overall, I quite like it. I think GeneratePress is still taking the palm if you want like the most minimalist WordPress theme with like not many functions, but that is the most efficient possible. But this is like, in my opinion, the best balance between features and speed. And uh, I would recommend people check out at least the free version. I got the premium version and I'm probably going to be using it on a few sites actually. So I wanted to let people know and if they can try it for free, it's even better, you know? Great. So the next uh, piece of news is actually about the news or rather about Google and what it's doing with news. So in Australia, there's been a campaign recently by Google and YouTube, basically a scaremongering campaign. They're saying that the Australian government is going to make laws, which mean that Australians won't be able to get free access to the news and, you know, censorship and it's bad for YouTube creators and, and all that. And none of that is actually true. It's actually the Australian government coming in and saying that Google can't just you basically take other people's content put it on Google News and make money from it. They have to work, Google and Facebook and, and all that, they have to work out a compensation model so that when a story is appearing on Google News and Google's making money from it, the publisher actually gets a percentage of that revenue. So the news is actually that Google's gone from a position of saying this is going to be terrible to actually like starting to agree to it. And that debate now is more about the actual amount and the percentages that who's getting what. So it's interesting because it, uh, this is the first time globally that anything like this has happened. And it could be very, very good news, no pun intended, for uh, news outlets because they've been really struggling for to make money recently, especially you know with, with physical newspapers not being sold at really that much at all, 2020 at least. So yeah, it'd be interesting to see. I, I'd be very surprised if more countries didn't enact similar laws. And to be honest, it's about time. I think Google's maybe abused its power as a monopoly a little bit too much in this area to the detriment of everyone because it's creating all these false, like poor incentives 
to create sensationalist clickbaity news rather than like actual hard cold hard facts and stuff. So yeah, no no facts in the headlines, so people click. Yeah, I'm hoping this is a reversal of of that trend. But yeah, interesting development, and it kind of touches on some other areas. There's, there's potential overlap here with what Google does with featured snippets, for example. I mean, could we see Google paying publishers a percentage of its AdSense revenue when they land on a? But do you pay, think they would do that as featured snippets? They would take the argument. They send you free traffic anyway, so they'd be like, okay, we'll pay you for that for that content, but you have to. Pay well, this is this traffic, is this is know? the same argument that they they say. Yeah. This is the same argument they used in this case. They said, well, actually, we send a lot of traffic to these places, so you know, it's fair. Yeah, let's see. But the Australian government was like, no, it's not. It looks like they're going to come up with a, an agreement now. So. All right, let's see what happens. That'd be hilarious if you start receiving checks from Google for ranking, like a new business model or something. Anyway, I mean, uh, honestly, ever, ever since we watched the antitrust hearings earlier this year, it's really like I just see all the time Google is such a monopoly. And honestly, like shit needs to change with that. Like I'm getting more and more in favor of like uh, of a breakup. This is not an activist channel, you know. Anyway, like speaking about consolidation and um, breakup and all that, there's another story which came out recently around DotDash, which is a media company acquiring two really big websites, Serious Eats and Simply Recipes, and uh, it just it was another part of a kind of ongoing set of news that where big publishers and media companies are kind of consolidating and acquiring more and more sites and then kind of building a bit of a fortress around themselves in this this area. We've seen Red Ventures do that with the in finance with the credit card space. And really interesting actually because I went on Red Ventures site recently just to, to research before this podcast and I couldn't find a list of the sites they own anymore. So they seem to have like taken them away. I'm not sure if they're trying to like hide the fact that they're this big behemoth now or Do they have something in the footer maybe? You could just search for the footprint in the footer or something. Oh yeah, I mean there'll be a way to reverse engineer. I think, you know, trademarks, uh, Red Ventures, LLC yeah. and those Privacy policies, stuff like that. They, they, there's legal stuff they need to actually put in there. Yeah, but I mean they used to have a kind of portfolio like here's all the sites we, we own. They used to brag and now not anymore basically and it's like it's kind of yeah. scary. It just means that they like don't want people to know. It probably means they have a lot I guess. Yeah, so it's got me thinking, you know, and I want to ask your thoughts on this is consolidation inevitable in this space and if so is that a force for good bad does it help consumers does it help publishers uh, does it hurt publishers what do you think i mean i think it depends a lot on google to be honest because it, it all in the end it's like if google changes the rules let's say like let's imagine you know like you can in schema you can put like your company information etc so they can essentially get that data from the site and for example if you want your review snippets to show up you actually need that data in your schema otherwise they don't show the star reviews etc in a, in a search rating so i mean if google does nothing about it yeah i think it's going to happen it always happened in every industry it's kind of the wild west at the beginning and slowly but surely, you know, people like uh, winners emerge, buy out competitors, etc., or like bring them out of business. And eventually, there's more and more big stuff. It doesn't mean there's no there's no small companies as well. I mean, if you look at like giant supermarkets and stuff like that, for example, it's kind of the same thing. Where it's like before there was all these small shops, and eventually there was these giant kind of like commercial zones that were developed with all the shops, and you can find everything. And it ate away a lot of food traffic from the small shops in the city, etc. And a lot of them struggle, but it doesn't mean they don't exist anymore. And specialty shops especially are doing still fine, provided they have some kind of unique value you can find in the chain stores, etc., etc. So I'm kind of looking at it that way. Actually, I think the commercial zone example is probably uh, not a bad one. 
where it doesn't mean that everyone's going to disappear, etc. But it means that if you are the kind of people who generate, who just like very generic content, the same way as these big brands do, then the question is like, aren't you just going to start competing against bigger and bigger people? And isn't it time to essentially bring some originality, some unique features like these specialty shops do to your businesses so that you can compete in terms of differentiation rather than in terms of just trying to outsmart them on which keywords you pick, et cetera, because I think eventually they'll they figure them out all out, even if they take some time, et cetera, et cetera. So yeah, I do like the idea of bringing, I mean, you can even see like the way we're running Atari Hacker, like the fact that we get on camera, we put our personalities out there, we do all these things, et cetera. That kind of brings that kind of like specialization thing that maybe bigger outlets can do, et cetera. And like Moz would never talk like us or even Ahrefs or like bigger companies, et cetera. And what it does is it builds an audience that would maybe not necessarily find what they find in our content in maybe bigger companies' content. So yeah, I think consolidation is going to make things more difficult. It doesn't mean you can't survive. Smaller people will still be around, but yeah, it's a maturing industry, basically. What do you think? I think it's potentially bad for consumers and bad for... Search engines, I think. Publishers. I don't know if search engines really care so much. Well, if it's the same editorial team behind the same, the same 10 credit card sites... Like, isn't that just killing diversity into the results and stuff? It is, but like, do they, again, do they care? Does Google care? I think it's bad for consumers because you, with affiliates sites especially, because you'll end up with a situation where, you know, Red Ventures or someone negotiates a deal with uh, American Express and they're just like, all right, we're going to push them, push them number one on everything. And then it's going to like change what people really believe is the best card or, you know, I'm just using that as a hypothetical example. I'm not saying they actually do that, but you know, it's possible to do that when you own all 10 results on a SERP. It makes me think of uh, TV, actually. So, you know, in TV now, it's like everything is commercialized, everything. The business model is definitely figured out at this point. But what that does is the trust of people in the medium is decreasing rapidly because essentially everything is up for grabs for sale and for business. And so, like, you know, even recommendations in talk shows, etc. like people literally get paid for these placements and so on. And so there's almost no free speech left on there. And so as a result, people essentially have some defiance against the, the media. And I'm wondering if the same thing could happen with Google, et cetera. But that's when Google might react and actually like bring back the diversity or like use the company level tax to bring different companies on page one, et cetera. So we can't tell what's going to happen. What we can tell is obviously there is a lot of consolidation happening. But you know what that means also? It's not all bad for people listening because consolidation means big paydays for a lot of people out there that get bailed out by these people as well and can have like nice ex- and on a personal level do really well, you know? So, you know, it's not all doom and gloom, etc. But I think differentiating is the way to last a long time the same way specialty shops do. Like if you go to a tailor or something that does something special, has some specialty, etc., you will not find that when you go to Walmart, you know? And it's like, and that's kind of the point. And so, yeah, it is happening in every maturing industry. I don't see why we would escape from it completely. All right, so that's basically it for this show, guys. I hope you enjoyed it. Just a quick reminder, we are closing Authority Hacker Pro tonight. You can go on authorityhacker.com pro. You get all the information. I believe you have seen the information by now with all the emails, the ads, etc. But this is the last time we let people in this year, and it's going to be a while in 20 and 21 that until we let people in again. So just make sure you don't miss it out if you want to access that content sometime soon. On this, if you enjoy this podcast, don't forget to like it, to subscribe, and click on the notification bell. It really helps us. And we'll see you next week for another episode. Bye.